Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Volume 2 of the Pugasaur series is on shelves right now. It's titled Peace Be Still, A Pugasaur Adventure 2. Its author, Charles E. Pickens, is joining me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you, Charles, for joining me tonight. Well, thank you, Chloe. I appreciate it. So can you tell us what readers have in store for them now with A Pugasaur Adventure 2? Peace Be Still is a continuation of the first Pugasaur book. Basically, what I wanted to do is write a story about self-discipline. Uh, the title alone, Peace Be Still, really echoes that self-discipline. It's a wonderful little story. It's about it's told, it's told through the eyes of a little girl who knows exactly who she is. And uh, she loves the flower child movement of the 1960s, and she discovers the power of the words that are printed in the Bible. So what inspired you to write this story? What I noticed in the first book is there were some incidental characters that I created, and they were so powerful that I wanted to write stories about them as well, which kind of like created the entire Puppet Source series. So what was the process of writing this volume compared to maybe the last one, books you've written before, and then that whole publishing process? Was it different this time around? Uh, this time, I think it was a lot easier because the world had already been established. So, no, no, it wasn't that good at all. And a lot of people are surprised by how much work there is after you've actually written the book. There's a lot of work involved after that. Was that something that took you by surprise the first time around or, or even this time? No, not really. It was, it was very interesting. It, it was almost like just the creative process, being enveloped in the creative process and just enjoying it. And once it's finished, it's like it's the reward. is You can't even begin to imagine what the reward is. I mean, it's just it was just great. Yeah, how's it feel knowing that your books are out there on shelves, people are buying it, they're reading the words that you wrote? Oh, that is so powerful, Corey. I can't, it, I, I, to have parents come back to me and tell me how much fun they had reading the book to the kids and the kids writing me letters. I have little kids writing me letters telling me how much they enjoyed the stories. It's, it's, you can't put words to that. It's just powerful. So I imagine you've learned a lot in the journey of writing and publishing is there any advice that you could give for up-and-coming authors that want to write a book and put it out there for people to read? Jump in the pool. Start stroking your arms because if you have a story inside, eventually you're going to learn how to swim. It's just a process. Now, this is an interesting blend of elements. We have sci-fi, fantasy, comedy, and then some good biblical teaching as well. How much of a challenge was it to weave all these together? It wasn't much of a challenge because whenever you incorporate the Bible and you just allow it to do what it's going to do, I mean, it just flowed. It seemed to flow for me. I mean, I had such a wonderful time incorporating all those elements, allowing the Bible to just lead the way. It was, it was really powerful. Now, this is volume two. Is there going to be a volume three or maybe a volume four? How far do you want to take this? Yes, I want to maybe extend it to volume five at least. But since I wrote this book, it's really, it's really amazing. I've been approached by some amateur writers. And in fact, I just completed a book. The author of this book is Joy Harmon. And I 
edited the illustration and edited the book, and it was so fun working with her. She's just an amazing person that has a wonderful writing skill. It's always a good feeling knowing that you have the experience and you've been writing now. You can help other people. You can help other authors and collaborate with other authors, too. Yeah. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt, because there's so much talent out there, and it's, it, it just opened up a whole new world for me. This is Peace Be Still, a Pugasaur Adventure 2, part of the Pugasaur series, Volume 2. It was written by Charles E. Pickens and was published through Christian Faith Publishing, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Charles, thanks again for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure getting to know you and about the Pugasaur Adventure series. Thank you, Chloe. I really appreciate the opportunity. The fun smileys and icons we see all over social media and elsewhere, called emojis, are widespread. Author Melissa K. Moore introduces children to this phenomenon in her new book, My First Emojis. What's emoji? Melissa's joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for being here, Melissa. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be on. So emojis, we see them everywhere. Can you tell us about this book? Yes, What's Emoji introduces kids to emojis in a fun, interactive way and teaches them how to use them. The book is educational and it features colorful emoji pictures for kids to learn parts of the body by reading what I like to say, emoji style, with a lovable character emoji. So what gave you the idea for this book? I found a fascination with emojis when I got an iPhone and didn't know how to use them correctly. It was then I began to learn about emojis and how to use them as an expressive way to communicate in our social world. So are you finding that kids are maybe a little further ahead in knowing about emojis? Because they're like everywhere. And even I have young children and they use emojis all the time. It's such a part of our culture. Absolutely. And what inspires the, the book is the fact that we are using emojis in our digital communication. And kids learn by sight first, and then they learn the word. I thought it would be a fun way for kids to learn not only about the different objects, animals, etc., but that they could use the objects in reading a sentence like we often do playfully in our text messages. So how long were you working on the book before it went out to print? I actually began working on the book. The idea came to me in January 2017, and then I published the first edition in July 2018 and just completed this new edition with Fulton Books, which I'm very proud of. Your books are out there and people are reading them and, and kids are having fun with them. How do you feel about that? I, it feels amazing. I fulfilled a dream I've had since a creative writing class I took in high school. I'm still in awe that it has become a reality because it was a forgotten dream until I began to write What's Emoji. So with so many illustrations, very visual book, was the process of working in illustrations with what you had written, was that a challenge? It was. That was probably the biggest challenge I had, bringing the idea to life. I hit struck gold when I came up with the emoji character, because with the emoji character, then I could really portray the book and bring it to life with that character and introducing emojis to kids. So now that you have some books out there and you've been through the process several times, what one piece of advice would you give to up-and-coming aspiring authors? 
I would give the advice to believe in yourself. You can do it no matter how young or old you are. It's never too late for dreams to come true, even forgotten ones. Great advice. Thank you. So is there upcoming work here? Are you working on a, maybe a follow-up or another book? Oh, yes. I am working on How's Emoji About Emotions, and I'm really excited about that one, especially how everyone is dealing with emotions in the times right now. I have many more ideas and adventures coming up for Emoji, which I'm excited about in the series. The book is My First Emojis, What's Emoji? by Melissa K. Moore, published by Fulton Books. This is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, as well as Google Play. Melissa, thank you so much for your time today talking with us here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and thank you for talking about this really fun book. Thank you, and then have fun reading Emoji Style. What Would You Do? The 30 and Experiment by Dennis Barry is an intergalactic novel that promises to have you asking this question. Dennis is talking with us today here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining me today, Dennis. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So this book sounds crazy. Can you tell us about it? It's kind of like the Old West meets Star Trek type deal. I like time travel, but I don't like the time travel paradox. So I just made it on another planet that was in an Ice Age time. So what inspired you to write this? Where'd you come up with the idea? Actually, I, 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 loved, I grew up on Star Trek, but I really didn't care for the way that they had politicized it over the years that it got more and more political i just like the science fictiony thing of it and like i said i like time travel and i like the old stuff so i made a i made a christian friendly family friendly science fiction book that incorporated star trek and like ice age and that kind of time frame it's interesting you bring that up every story has a message but you don't want to beat people over the head with that message you want to incorporate it i think tastefully and, and more subtly so how much of a challenge was that in this setting of the sci-fi and the, the Western kind of thing going on? How tricky was that to weave the Christian theme in? It wasn't too hard. Um, I grew up in a church. I, my, my father was an uh, ordained minister. I was able to see over the years, you know, certain pastors who had the fire and brimstone method of beating people over the head with the Bible and then other people who just subtly put the message in there. So I was able, it wasn't that hard to, to put it in without making it overt and without threatening people, basically. I even had a, uh, a Jewish friend of mine and a Muslim friend of mine, a Catholic friend of mine and a Baptist friend of mine read the manuscript and nobody had any problems with the, with the book. So I, I knew I hit pay dirt then. Fantastic. Is this the first book you've written or maybe the first time you've been published? It's the first book. I've been published in little magazine articles about four or five times, but this is the first time that I've actually written a whole book. Oh, congratulations. It's a big accomplishment. A lot of people want to do it and never do. So what's it feel like now knowing that your book's out there, people are reading it? When I first got the first author's copy in, it was almost surreal holding it in my hand. You know, I'd spent four or five years with these people in this book making their worlds and making their society. It was an amazing feeling. I've started writing a sequel. The second one's going a whole lot easier because I've already got the uh, all the foundation done. What advice would you give to people who are just embarking on this same journey for the first time? 
do it. I graduated school in 1984. I never saw a computer until um, probably around 2000. And I still can't type and I don't know how to run a computer. That's no excuse not to write a book. They have these things called composite notebooks. That entire book was written in a composite notebook. And then I had my younger brother, who is computer savvy, put word processing and uh, voice recognition on a, on a cheap computer. And I read the book to the computer and the computer printed it for me. So there's no excuse not to write it. And what I would suggest is everybody just write everything you're thinking, just write it out. And I mean, if, if that means later on, when you reread it, you throw away 10 paragraphs, that's not a problem because you're, that's this process of, of inventing. Just, just write it down, write everything you think, and then sit back and read it and organize it later. The name of the book again is The Thirtian Experiment by Dennis Berry, published by Christian Faith Publishing. This is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Dennis, it was a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you, and you have a blessed day. Churches often face the challenge of people's preconceived assumptions about them. Patricia Bakey's new book, The Truth About the Church, addresses this within the context of a novel. Thank you for being here with me today, Patricia. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us? What about the truth behind the church is all about? Sure. So the truth about the church is about a 16-year-old girl. She's, she's frightened with the events that take place after she walks into a church for the first time ever. She was curious on a weekday. She just wanted to have a look around. Her mom always told her they weren't church people and they didn't belong. The people she met in the church in, in that first couple of weeks that she was going were telling her a different story. She was struggling with, this, with the truth and uh, who she should believe as she tried to understand this new world that she just entered. So how'd you come up with the idea for this? Well, the, the easy answer is I was, I was inspired. I was inspired by God. Uh, my family was all home for a weekend and we were getting ready to go to church. And I just felt so blessed that, you know, all my children have found spouses that that also had share share our belief. And so we were getting there and we were getting ready for church and God just kind of spoke to me and he said, you know, some people, it's just not normal for them to just get up and go to church like everybody. Some, some people have never even been in a church. What do you think would be like if you walked into church for the first time ever? And he kind of whispered and he said, I want you to imagine that you've never been in this church before. And some of the vocabulary and the words and the sights and the things that you see and hear in a, in a church or with other believers aren't typically spoken in a secular world on a daily basis. So I, I kind of felt those anxieties as if I was that little girl. When you think about words such as narthex and pew and, you know, offering and, you know, holy and you know, what do all those things mean? And it's not something that we just carry on in a typical secular conversation. So have you written before? I have written before. I've never published before, but I've written many, many books before. And uh, this isn't my typical type of a book. So this was not one that I really wanted to write. And God just kept pushing me and kept reminding me. And I kept seeing scenes before my before my eyes. And it's like, you need to put this down. You need to write this. So eventually with his prodding, I finally wrote the book. So being your first published work, how does it feel seeing it up there on shelves and people buying it and reading it? 
Yeah, it feels really good. It feels really good. You know, at, at first, you know, I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty awesome. And then I felt very humble, very humiliated. And it's just, I was very blessed that God allowed me to do this. I've been writing since I was 16. And I, I really felt like I would be accomplished writer way before this. So this, this really did feel good. The book is The Truth About the Church by Patricia Bakies. This is published by Christian Faith Publishing and is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Patricia, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for being here with us at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for having me. The American school system is full of complex interactions, and author Jackson Reap uses its example in his book The Future is Watching, Thoughts from the Classroom. I'm talking with Jackson right now. Jackson, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you. Can you tell us what The Future is Watching is about? The Future is Watching is a book based on my experience as a teacher in the classroom. And the future representing children, meaning that they're looking. Children are always observing, noticing things that adults are often unaware of. And uh, my experience as a teacher in the classroom really kind of showed me how as teachers, as adults, we can really impact the lives of kids and impact specifically in the classroom, their energy, their focus through things that we often overlook. Really, it's about energy. It's about attitude. And the motivation that we bring as teachers into the classroom really has an impact on students. And also, same thing goes for kids when they go home. They're responding and reacting to their parents. When adults really understand the impact that they can have, we can really make a positive impact on their life and make this world a better place. So, yeah, it's basically kind of just observations that I've made and, and helped me grow as a teacher and just as a person. And I wrote it in hopes that that teachers specifically, but also parents could take some of the things that I've mentioned in this book and maybe apply it into their life and into their uh, job and so that they can be the most productive and be an example for the kids that are watching. Well, so about how long did it take you to compile all these thoughts and write them and then get them into print? It was about a two-year process. At the beginning, I started here and there just kind of writing a few things down. But I would say the last year, I really decided to focus and, and complete this. Is this the first time you've been published? Yes, this is the first book that I've written. I'm actually currently working on another one with similar ideas, but a little, it's not about the classroom, but it does have similar um, ideas as far as taking responsibility and discipline and, and stuff like that. So if you had one piece of advice to give to an upcoming author who wants to write a book and be published, what would that be? If you really want to be an author, and I'm glad you asked me that because I've thought about wanting to be an author for years, but it was just a fantasy. It was a, a dream that I had if you want to write a book, you need to know what you're passionate about and you really need to channel that energy consistently every day and be willing to work hard, especially when you're tired. I wrote the entire book while teaching. So at the end of the day, you're tired, you want to relax, watch some TV or something like that. And that's fine. But if you have a goal to write a book, then it, it's really about consistency, but also having a specific subject matter that you are passionate about, because that's really going to motivate you. If you're not passionate about it, you're probably not going to finish it. 
Great advice. Well, thank you, Jackson. The book is The Future is Watching, Thoughts from the Classroom, published by Fulton Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Jackson, it was a pleasure speaking with you today and learning about The Future is Watching. Thank you again for joining us here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. How do you turn your life around when it seems hopeless? Author Michael Bretonja talks about it in his new book, If the Lord Can Save Motorcycle Mike, I'm No Problem. It's out now through Christian Faith Publishing, and Michael is here with me right now. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. This sounds like a really interesting book. Can you tell us what it's about? Well, it's mostly about the tremendous amount of times that I had a very close call with death and probably should have died. But for some reason, I was always able to get out of the circumstance. How would you say you got out of where you were? I prayed a lot. Even though I, I proclaimed that I had no belief in the Lord, when I'm doing 100 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour turn around the mountain mm -hmm. and the edges coming up on me, I found that I had plenty of religion in me to pray and to ask for mercy. What made you decide to write this book and put it out there for people to read? I was hoping that it may help somebody else who's on the same road that I was. I was on a road of destruction. I really was tired of life. I didn't want to live, and I just had nothing going for me anymore. So is this your first time writing? Yes. What was that like, writing a book for the first time? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I learned a lot about uh, getting my feelings out on paper and uh, letting people know who the hell I was. Started working on a second book. Would you say that writing this then sort of helped you deal with everything that's happened in your life, bringing that all up again? Or was it difficult bringing that up? I believe so. I, I believe it clarifies a lot. When you put it on paper and you look at it and, and you maybe go over it and revise things here and there, it puts a lot in perspective. You come away with, with some clarity. Did you find anything challenging? I thought Christian publishing helped me out a lot with it. They uh, pointed out things that I needed to work on and ways that I needed to get things across. They, they helped me a lot with it. How do you feel now knowing that your work is out there, your story's out there, and people are reading it and benefiting from what you have to tell? I find it very gratifying. I really hope a lot that it helps somebody to see that there are ways of changing ways of getting some structure in your life rather than suicide. When you're at the bottom and you can't see any real light, this is a good book to read. Indeed. Do you have any advice maybe for first-time writers like you once were, now that you're a veteran of the whole process? Anything you learned along the way that you could help people out with? It takes a lot of patience. Got to have a few people that you know that uh, will give you criticism on it and won't be afraid to tell you. This is If the Lord Can Save Motorcycle Mike, I'm No Problem by Michael Brotonja. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Michael, it was a pleasure learning about your book and meeting you today, sir. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you much. May the Lord bless you. When going through troubled times, finding a supportive community of people you can relate to can be really invaluable. In her book, Carry On, 
Author Asper Reynolds tells the tale of finding strength in community. Thank you for being here with us today, Asper. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us about Carry On? So I'm a really big fan of the TV show Supernatural. When I was going through a difficult time with my own mental health, I found support and I found help from other fans of the show. So what gave you the idea to write about this? Um, I have a lot of friends are fans of the show and are part of support groups. And the show does so much work with its mental health campaigns. I thought that other people could benefit it the way that I did. So about how long did it take you to write this? I had been working on another on another book that covered several fandoms. That one didn't really work out, so I ended up taking the part about Supernatural and turning it into a book of its own, and that process uh, took a few months. So what is it about the fandom community? There's a special quality there among fans. Yeah, there is, for sure. Um, in the Supernatural community, one of the lead actors, Jared Padalecki, has a campaign, the Always Keep Fighting campaign. And I feel like that has brought a lot of fans of the show together. Kind of where it started with me, I, I, I discovered the campaign on it during a really dark time in my life and was able to discover several fans of the show who were able to support and inspire me. Finding that kind of common ground with other people through a story can be really, really powerful. I mean, there are a lot of, of fandoms that you, you find yourself relating to different struggles that the character goes through. And I think it gives you a kind of a safe space to work through issues you might have in your own life. The characters in particular in Supernatural, their mantra of keep fighting, keep grinding, keep pushing through. For somebody who is waking up every day to battle issues with mental health, it, it can be a very strong message for them. Now, you don't have to be a fan of Supernatural or even know necessarily what it's about in detail to benefit from this book, though, right? No, no. In it, I write a lot about experiences with fans, with the support that I have outside of the show. It does touch on some episodes that were, you know, fun and beneficial, but it does mostly deal with stuff that we did outside of the show that's exciting. For instance, scavenger hunt gish that fans and non-fans participate on, put on by the actor Misha Collins. I was able to write about that in one chapter of the book, and it talks about how, you know, getting outside of getting outside of ourselves and moving into helping other people. If an aspiring author came to you and said, can you give me one tip? You've been through this, you've written a book, and you've been published. Can you give me one tip, something you learned along the way that could help me along? What would that be? Try not to do it alone. I mean, there are so many other writers out there who, you know, might be more experienced. The, the writing community is really great. There's a lot of people out there who are willing to share what they've learned and willing to work with you and to help you grow. Indeed. It's always better together than alone. The yeah. book, again, is Carry On by Asper Reynolds, published by Fulton Books. This is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Asper, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure talking with you here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you. A murder mystery with plenty of twists and turns only begins to describe Robert Sparkman's new book, Prisoner Prodigal Pawn, Is Life Pulled by Fate or Pushed by Luck? Robert's here with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here with me, Robert. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to uh, discuss my book with you. I'm excited, too. It sounds like there is a lot going on. So can you explain what it's about? 
It's a story that takes place, it's a murder mystery that takes place in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The protagonist, our hero, so to speak, he works for a law firm and he discovers that the law firm is responsible for his father being sent to jail unjustly. So he sets out on a course to prove his father's innocence. And in the process of doing so, he is implicated in the murder of a co-worker. And so he is faced with a challenge that one of his greatest fears is being sent to jail, just like his father, unjustly. So he's dealing with that fear at the same time as trying to save his father or to get his father out of jail. And so it's it's kind of a complex and complicated mystery. And the process of him trying to, to free his father, it just sets him on a course that uh, gets him deeper and deeper <laughs> into more trouble, losing sight of trying to get his father out of jail and he's trying to save himself. So are you a big fan of this genre of the murder mystery, lots of twists and turns? And Yes, I am. I am. Uh, in fact, I remember as a kid, uh, was, I was a huge fan of Agatha Christie and her novels. Oh, yeah. So yes, I am a big fan of this genre. That obviously inspired some of this, but where else did you get the, the idea for the plot? It was from a newspaper article because the story takes place uh, on an Indian reservation and it was a newspaper article that I read. You know, casinos on Indian reservations are big and, and there was just one family that was being thrown off the reservation mainly because the fewer people that are on the reservation, the more money that gets to be shared, um, the cut for other people on the, on the reservation from the uh, casino operations. Mm. I found that pretty intriguing. So I used that as a backstory for my book. And the other, the main part of the story, just something that I just you know, came up with on my own. But the backstory involves a Native American Indian casino and a family that's being thrown off the reservation and is tied into as a subplot of this story. Is this your first time writing? Have you written a book or been published or anything before? No, this is my first novel, my debut. I self-published this book about two years ago, but I got some pretty good reviews, great reviews. They thought that it was you know, well-written and they enjoyed it. And so I decided to sign on with Fulton Books and you know polish it up a bit and then to have it reintroduced with some backing from a major publication. Is the editing process cumbersome for you? You'd self-published before, and now this is like a new edition of it. So how hard was that process? very hard because I, I wanted the book to read you know smoothly and and for readers not to be bothered by you know misspelled words or a sentence structure that didn't make sense and so it was very cumbersome I mean I went through each and every page word by word line by line it was it was a, a it was a long process to, to try to get it right well now having gone through that process if someone came up to you and said hey I want to write a book I want to get published do you have a piece of advice that you would give them I took a writing course before I started writing this book because it's something that I wanted to do for such a long time. But again, I wanted to at least have the tools and the knowledge on how to write a book, how to structure a book. And so I think my first bit of advice would be to tell someone to invest a little bit of time and effort into some sort of a writing course on how to basically write a book or write a novel. The book is Prisoner Prodigal Pawn, Is Life Pulled by Fate or Pushed by Luck? by Robert Sparkman, published by Fulton Books. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere. Robert, thank you for talking with me today. It was great learning about this book. Great. Well, thank you again for having me. Uh, just happy to uh, be able to talk about my book and, um, and to share the experience with others. Thank you. We all have different journeys through life, and none of them tend to be what we could call easy. Author Phil Johnson's new book, The Anointed Man, tells this story. 
And Phil is talking with me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining me here, Phil. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us what readers are in store for with The Anointed Man? Uh, with the anointed man, they're in store. They're, they're looking at a journey of a, a, a trip of an anointed man, his fall before there was grace. We all have a story, and the anointed man tells the story of this young minister in an urban setting. So where'd you get the idea to write this? Uh, just from life, uh, parts of it from my life and just life in general and just knowing how that most of us have a, a plan that is laid out for us. Sometimes we deviate from it and sometimes we follow it to a T. Most most often we deviate it's just based on life, life, life story. So what would you say is the biggest challenge to staying on track in life and making the right choices? <laughs> I think the biggest challenge about staying on track is uh, temptation. I believe that it is necessary for us to fall off track sometimes. That is the only way we're going to learn all the lessons correctly. We have to go through it. The best teacher is the one that's been through something. You know, I can't tell you if, if I don't drive, I can't tell you how to drive. We have to. I think sometimes we have to deviate. We have to learn from our mistakes. Have you written a book before? This is actually my first published book. I was just writing essays and short stories and things. So actually, that this is, my, like I said, my first published book. But I'm working on the sequel to The Anointed Man, The Anointed Man 2, The Gift. And I'm also editing a third book, a tidbit for the soul. Is there anything about the publishing process that you found challenging or surprising, getting everything formatted and ready to hit shelves? The whole process, that was the challenge, the publishing part of it, uh, the editing there. When you submit it, you think, okay, this is good to go. And then they give it, give it back to you and it, to be edited. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess it wasn't. And you, you go through that edit. You, you check that over. And then they come back once again and check that over. So after you, all the edits and, and corrections there, that was the, the challenge in itself. And that, that was the longest process. But I think the the hardest part the hardest part after that was uh, you want to pick a correct cover, one that's going to draw people to your book and stay in the theme of the book. Congratulations on this being your first book. That's really a big accomplishment. A lot of people say they want to do it and never get around to it. And you have. What kind of feeling does that give you knowing that people are reading this out there? You can't even, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, the, the moment I got the book, when it came and I actually had it in my hand and looked at it, I couldn't believe it. It's like, I, I, I wrote this. This is my book. And it's, a, it's an immense joy that you really can't, you know, you really can't put into words. It's just a feeling comes over you. It's, it's beyond crying tears of joy. It's just, everything just feels good. And then you, you open it up and read your own words. And you read like I started reading it and reading the book and I had to put it down. I looked at it and I said, wow, that's pretty good writing there. That's good. <laughs> Again, the book is The Anointed Man by Phil Johnson, published by Christian Faith Publishing, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Well, Phil, thank you for joining us here on the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for having me. Author Shirley Renee looks to inspire and uplift in her new book, Intermusings. Shirley's talking with me right now. Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, Shirley. Oh, thank you, Corey. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us what readers will find in Intermusings? 
Well, I'm hoping that they'll find some inspiration for some of their problems in life and entertainment. And I would like them to give a lot of thought to the stories as they read them to figure out if they are true or fiction. So this is a mix of, what, poetry and short stories? Yes, it has short stories, poems, and essays. And and they're a mix. I'm hoping that many different ages will enjoy the book. So are these pieces that you've written over several years, or did you sort of do them all at once? Oh, no, it took several years to get them all written because I had a busy life, and a lot of them was written while I was taking college classes full-time, and I had several animals to take care of, and I was driving 40 miles to and from college. So is this your first published book? It is. It's my first published book. I'm very proud of the way the publishers took care of it for me. Congratulations. Big accomplishment. How does it feel having a book out there? Oh, it feels wonderful. I'm really hoping that some of the stories that's in there will let people know that life is wonderful, even though we have problems and tomorrow will be a better day. Is there a certain readership, a certain demographic that you're writing for? Actually, uh, no. There's stories in there that I think younger kids will enjoy, uh, like young teenage readers, as well as the more mature folks. I think there's a little something in there for everybody. Is there any advice you could offer to aspiring authors? Oh, my, yes. If you have a desire and an imagination to write stories, I would encourage you to get a piece of paper and a pen or a computer and let those stories come from your mind through your pen onto your paper and go for it. You can do this. So is there anything next? Are you working on maybe a follow-up, another collection, or another book? Well, I am uh, working right now on a children's book for the younger generation of children. It'll be a picture book more than just print to go along with the story so the children will be able to see the picture as well as read. And I've also started another collection like Inner Musings. I hope to have that done a lot sooner than the one I just had published. (laughs) Wonderful. What kinds of things do you read? I read for an hour or so every night when I go to bed, and I really like to learn new things. So I like to read a mix of different genres, how-tos and things like that, as well as stories. The book is Intermusings by Shirley Renee, published by Fulton Books. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Shirley, thank you for joining us here today at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Oh, thank you, Corey. I was happy to be here. A mystery entangled with the supernatural is what author John Owens has for us in his book, Pursuit. John's talking with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining us, John. Oh, thank you for having me. Can you tell us about this book? It's a book about redemption in one word. It involves a detective whose wife has died and he's committed some minor and increasingly severe misconduct in his job and is suspended. Uh, He's turning to alcoholism and his life's a shambles. His brother-in-law, who he's never liked, has called and uh, told him that his sister, who is the only person of significance in his life, has uh, disappeared. And she's been involved recently with a church cult. 
then from there, the, the story goes, he gets involved in trying to rescue her or find her at first. And the brother-in-law and he go on an adventure, uh, which does not turn out so well for the brother-in-law. But uh, she eventually, the sister, is recovered through the people they meet and the experiences they have, including with some supernatural evil characters, are redeemed and start new lives. There's some darkness in the book, but primarily it's a affirming story about what Christ can do in our lives. So where'd you get the idea to take a mystery story and weave in the cult, the supernatural, and have it all lead to a redemption message? Well, I've always enjoyed mysteries and thrillers, uh, reading them, anything from Tom Clancy to the old Sherlock Holmes books. Fifteen, no, probably 20 years ago now, I came across a tape series by Hank Hanegraaff called The Counterfeit Revival. And after listening to that, it got me thinking about what was going on in many of the churches. And I had been ruminating, I guess, maybe subconsciously for years about incorporating it into a book. And I kind of combined the two elements in this book. So is this the first time you've written a book, or is this the first time you published? It's the first published book that I've had. First attempt at any kind of writing like this. Well, congratulations on that. Publishing is a big deal. It's a big accomplishment. What have you learned along the way? Were there any surprises with how you had to get this published? Uh, yeah, I was a greenhorn totally, so it was all a learning experience for me. I think I was surprised by how long it took and how thorough my uh, publisher was and the amount of help they provided. My family provided a lot of support, too, so I'm retired now, so I have the time to write, and I enjoy that. But it's not always easy finding the time to write, so you have to discipline yourself to do that. Well, now you are a veteran author. Uh, you have published work out there. So are there any words of wisdom that you can offer to somebody who's coming up through this process for the first time? Well, don't give up. Keep focused on what you're trying to uh, get across. Probably have a theme that you want to uh, convey to people and, you know, pray about it and trust in the Lord. And things will come out the way they're supposed to. All right. Well, this one is Pursuit by John Owens. Published by Christian Faith Publishing, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Well, John, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for telling us all about this new book. Well, thanks for having me. Books often let us step into someone else's shoes to go new places and to experience new things. Patricia Shirley's new book, Memories from a Federal Working Girl, gives us a peek into the federal government. Patricia's joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here tonight, Patricia. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. So you've had an amazing run working for the federal government for decades, and that's what this book is about. Can you tell us about it? I um, started back in 1968 as a GS2 file clerk and uh, worked my way up to an administrative analyst uh, and that's where I retired in uh, 2008. Uh, lots of travel and meeting interesting people. It was a good career. So what made you decide to take all the stories and experiences that you have from the years and write them down and publish it? I had no intention of writing a book. Hadn't even crossed my mind. And I thought, oh, I need something to do. I thought, oh, I'll write a book. 
Um, I have no experience at writing or anything like that, but I thought it's it's something to do and and it'll prevent brain rot. I had no notes or anything like that, and uh, I just sit down one night at the kitchen table and started writing, and the memories just started flooding back, you know, coming back. Then it got to be fun, you know, with all the memories. It just got to be really fun. It took me, I guess, maybe a year, maybe a little over a year. I worked in the Pentagon for 34 years, just moving around after um, the 9-11 attacks. We got a task force together and I met Tom Clancy. Oh, wow. So we knew about the, the World Trade Center. There was construction going on around the Pentagon. We thought it was the construction guys, and we thought, oh, what have they done now? And then I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and the Pentagon Director of Administration heading for the command center. So we headed for the escalators, and by the time we got to the escalators, people were coming out in droves. You know, just wow. so we got outside, and all of a, all of a sudden we hear planes coming over and folks started screaming and of course you know the military guys are out there and calming everybody and he's going no 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 it's us it's us it's us but they were you know they were too late of course yeah it took me i guess a week you know to see see what was going on and there's this big gaping hole you know you couldn't even see because the plane had disintegrated you know just what amazed me is it did not come all the way through. That's how thick wow. those walls were. You know, you just could not see it. Wow. So many wonderful stories, and I have a feeling we're only scratching the surface of everything you have to tell. <laughs> and I wish I, I wish we could talk longer because this is fascinating. But again, this is Memories from a Federal Working Girl by Patricia Shirley, published by Christian Faith Publishing. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on here and telling us about this book. I encourage everyone to check it out. Thanks again for joining us here. Oh, thank you. This has been great. Thank you so much. The book we're talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable took over a year to be approved for release by the FBI. The book is Hoover's Nightmare, A Special Agent Gone Native by author Wade Shirley. Wade is joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Wade. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Corey. I appreciate you having me on. So can you tell us about this book? It seems really interesting. Hoover's Nightmare, the title itself, uh, should raise questions in the minds of most readers. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who is who we're talking about here, the original director of the FBI and who was director when I came on in 1969, had a phobia. He didn't want his agents to be like the local police, and he transferred them frequently to avoid this thing from happening. It was referred to by some in the know as he just didn't want his agents to go native. This book basically tells of 30 years history of yesterday's FBI, 
that's how long I served in the FBI. And I was able to go native. Basically, I was assigned to a one-man office in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, so far removed from the mainstream of the Bureau that I had to depend on the local police. I had to, the best friends became my, or the sheriff's deputies, the uh, chiefs of police, the regular detectives, all became my best friends. We had coffee together each day. We talked about our cases. When I needed help, they helped me. So basically, I went native. Even this book, based on fact, it's uh, through the eyes of a fictitious character, Agent McQuaid, who takes people on a journey all the way from the Indian Wars in Nebraska, Wounded Knee, the American Indian movements. He talks about, uh, he takes us through kidnappings that are so unusual, sex trafficking, fraud cases, prostitutes, buying police cars for the local sheriff so that uh, they can continue their illegal business. There's a lot of humor. It's history. It's entertaining. Basically, it's a one-of-a-kind book, Corey. What prompted you to write this book and to put all these things down on paper and put it out there? You know, I hadn't been an agent very long back in the early 70s before I realized, hey, this is unusual stuff. So I really started collecting newspaper clippings and little notes and assignment cards, things of this nature. And I'd throw them in a box and I literally had banker boxes full of material. And when I retired in 1999, I thought, yeah, you know, this is going to be lost down the memory hole of time if I don't really do something with it. My kids... I guess that was my first motivation. I wanted my children to understand, hey, this is what your dad did. And then as I got into it, people found out I was writing the book and people started asking about it. And there was quite an interest. So the toughest part of the book, and you've made reference to it earlier, was the FBI pre-publication unit. They just sit on this. I think maybe there were things in the book that even though they couldn't stop me from writing it, that they didn't particularly like. I was maybe a little harsh on FBI management, if you can imagine that. But in the end, the unit chief in that unit gave me a real compliment. He said, hey, I've fact-checked this and it's right on target. Again, the name of the book is Hoover's Nightmare, A Special Agent Gone Native by Wade Shirley. This is published by Fulton Books and is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Wade, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for filling us in on this really great-sounding book. Hey, thank you, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.